We need not take long. We know the verse. It's been preached to you before. But I would hate to hasten on into seven without us fully realizing what is there, especially after what we heard last Lord's Day. As you look at Romans chapter 6, I want you to see the two verses before it. I hope that you'll never forget the 21st verse. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Three levels of the foolishness of sin. It is fruitless in its commission. It is shameful upon its remembrance in the light of the gospel. It leads to death. Sin is horrible. I hope you'll never forget that 21st verse. That is God speaking to you. Forget Paul. Forget your pastor. It is God speaking to you. What fruit had ye then? In those things whereof ye are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. Let's not forget how terrible sin is and that it leads to death. That it's profitless. The world shows that those who give themselves to sin die an untimely death. And before they die, many or most of them are addicts of drugs, drunkenness, and other escapes to try to avoid the emptiness and the pain of their lives. But, verse 22, but, now being made free from sin, the gospel has come to us and made us ashamed of those things that we once committed, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. (coughs) Romans 6.22 The big change is that the gospel has freed us from sin and taught us to be slaves unto God. And the fruit of our righteous living is holiness. And when you're holy before a holy God, you are in His favor and He loves you and He is going to bless you and He is going to give you His Holy Spirit in order for you to better understand His Holy Scriptures. Right in order for you to walk with Him in the land of the living, with the light of God in your heart and your soul. That's fruit now. To live a righteous life has much fruit and blessing now, because you're bearing holiness in the sight of a holy God. And the end of that kind of a life, where does that life lead? Everlasting life. What a difference between verses 21 and 22. We were once in the first half of 21. Now we're in the second half where we're ashamed of those things. And we're all the way into verse 22. Slaves of God. Fruit of holiness. Eternal life waiting for us. And we come to the 23rd verse. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What makes the difference between 21 and 22? Who got you translated from 21 into 22? 
Who got you moved from the 21st verse into the 22nd verse? The gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the wages of sin, you put yourself in verse 21. You chose 21. You earned it fully. Some of you worked overtime. Let me put it better than that. Some of us worked overtime to put ourselves in the 21st verse. But thanks be to God, which delivered us from the 21st verse, put us in the 22nd verse, eternal life is waiting. We earn the 21st verse, but He gives us eternal life. He doesn't offer it to us. We don't earn it. He makes us accepted in His own beloved Son. For the wages of sin is death. The opening conjunction ties us together. This whole sixth chapter is around one thought. And it starts in the first verse with a question. It's repeated in the 15th verse. In case you're reading that far, you might have forgot the question of the first verse. It's repeated in the 15th. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Since salvation is so full of grace, and there is so much forgiveness with the Lord, can we just go ahead and relax and have sin in our lives? God forbid, in both places. Verse 2, verse 16. God forbid is tacked on to the end of verse 15. Then there are two analogies given. Two. The whole chapter is this simple. And I want you to love Romans 6. See, I already know you love Romans 8. I already know you love Romans 5. But I want you to love Romans 6. Because it's the result of grace. I, I say this very reverently. Who cares what God's done for us if you're not going to do something for Him? Right. The, the, the purpose of grace is to teach us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously. I'm, I meant what I said very reverently, and the Lord knows that. It's to, it's to get your attention. I speak after the manner of men because of the weakness of your flesh. That's right, right. The important thing is not five and that we have a second Adam. The important thing is, how are you living for the Lord Jesus Christ? Shall we continue in sin? God forbid! First analogy, you have all been baptized. When you were baptized, you said you were dead to sin, alive to God. You can't live in sin. Christ died for your sins. You showed that you believed that. And you committed to a death like His to bury your old man. And that runs all the way through verse 13. Looking at baptism, only of Baptists, because only Baptists immerse. Because it's immersion. Burying a person underwater and raising them again shows the burial of the old man and the resurrected life that they're going to live from that time forward in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, who lives forever in heaven to the glory and praise of God. Then, from verses 14 through 22, it's servitude. Described plainly in verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. You are either a servant of sin because you obey it on a regular daily basis, or you are a servant of God because you resist sin and choose righteousness. And so the second half of the chapter is an answer to the question, since there's so much grace, can I go ahead and sin? No, you're making yourself a slave of sin. And the end of that, the wages of that, 
23rd verse, is death. Servitude to God is holiness and the end everlasting life. Well, what made the difference in our lives? We have one verse that basically says it in this chapter. It's the 23rd verse. For the wages of sin is death. That's what you earned. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God gave a gift. He pardoned you from hell. He sent His own Son to die so that you don't have to die and you can live with Him forever as a father with adopted children. It is the message of the gospel of grace. It's Romans 6.23. For the wages, you earned it. He'll pay it. Of sin is death. But there is an exception made by the great gift of God. He paid the wages you earned to His own Son. Because it is the gift of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And what is that gift? It's eternal life by sending Jesus Christ. You know all this. You know all this. Well, how can we get some benefit out of it? Whose slave are you going to be? I, I know one thing. If somebody on Glassy Mountain or in Thorn Blade or Stone Ledge came and gave you a million dollar house, they walked up to you today and handed you a deed to their property with your name on it and said it's yours. All I want you to do is cut the grass in the summer. Would you have a lawnmower? Would you go get a lawnmower? Would you, would you hire it out? <laughs> You're going to cut the grass. You would cut the grass. You'd say, this is a no-brainer. You would say, this is ridiculous. You would say, this is marvelous. Right. Loving kindness. You would say, this is an unspeakable gift. For something that's going to rust... And fall apart and cost you more to maintain, though it was free and you have no cost of capital than the house you're living in right now. But anyway, let's not go there. I'm trying to make a positive comparison. What would you, would you cut the grass? You bet you would cut the grass. You'd be the first one out in that subdivision with a lawnmower or a hired lawn care service. God has given you the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, His Son, your Lord. What do we owe them? Our lives. How? Servants of righteousness. Fruits unto holiness. And the end, everlasting life. He wants us to live for Him. That's what these chapters are going to teach us. Seven, then eight are going to teach us that. Six taught us that. Shall we continue in sin? No. Brethren, death is the end of life. Death is the beginning of torment. You know I mock suicide notes that say I want to end all the pain. Right. You're so smart. I want to end all the pain. Death is the end of life, but it's the beginning of torment. Because there's more than one death in the Bible. There's physical death. That didn't happen to Adam for 930 years. Before that, there was spiritual death where his soul immediately became guilty, ashamed, fearful, and rebellious against God. In one second, they knew they were naked. The peaceful contentment, the innocence, the virtue, the goodness, 
that they had before God, and I'm speaking of Adam and Eve, disappeared in one second. They went and hid from God instead of running to Him. They blamed each other and the devil instead of taking any blame. They blamed God instead of blaming themselves. They didn't repent of their sins. That horrible change that took place is spiritual death. Then they died 900 years later. Then, unless Adam and Eve were saved by the grace of God in election and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to experience the second death. Their bodies are going to be reunited with their spirits, stand before God, and cast into the lake of fire. That's three stages of death. And brethren, it's clutching at us right now. I don't care what imagery you need. The Bible's full of imagery. If you want to think of it as Father Time, then the black-cloaked man with the sickle is walking in this room. He's taken one of us. He's looking for the next one. Death has grabbed a hold of your ankles and is trying to pull you off your pew, down through this floor, and into the ground where you will corrupt. Death is a happy, lively, and gorgeous girl as a cold, ashen, gray, and shriveled old woman. I've said these things to you before, but I want you to despise death and know that we have the victory over it. Completely. Death is a strong, virile, handsome man, curled up with only yellow skin and bones left. We're all going there. Death is working right now to choke out your life and leave you a stinking, rotting corpse. Death is the greatest punishment an infinitely wise creator could design for rebel enemies. And I don't mean the death of your body. I mean the second death. I heard from a number of you last week, after reading Revelation 20, 11 through 15, that you know that there's a death that's far worse than physical death. It is the second death to be cast alive into the lake of fire. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let me repeat some things I've said to you twice. When I can't tell you how many, then you'll know I've got a problem with my memory. I've told you this list twice. I just want to remind you of it. Death is sucking the memory out of your brain. The sight out of your eyes. You know, I think of all the glasses, contact lenses, surgeries. Why? Why do you have to go do all that? Death is sucking the memory out of your brain. The sight out of your eyes, the hearing out of your ears, the teeth out of your mouth, the taste out of your tongue, the moisture out of your mouth, the elasticity and clarity out of your skin, the firmness out of your flesh, the hormones out of your body, the form out of your shape, the strength out of your bones, the power out of your muscles, the flexibility out of your joints, the color and shine out of your hair, the hair off your head, the brightness out of your eyes, the desire and ability out of your sex, the insulin out of your pancreas, the processing out of your kidneys, the courage out of your mind, 
the remaining beats out of your heart and the life out of your soul. Thank you, Adam and Eve. Forget blaming them. Thank yourself. Have you ever sinned? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Death is eating us alive while I speak, and its conclusive finality is about to take us all down. You can't stop it. It's a war from which there is no discharge. You're going to be paid the wages of sin, but for the gift of God. May I remind you that there's more deaths than these three. When you sin, there's other deaths that result. This is a, a little aside. It is not in Romans three twenty, Romans 6.23. I just want to chase a little rabbit. Adam died spiritually in the day that he ate the fruit thereof, and so did Eve. Adam died physically 930 years later. Adam will die the second death if he's not one of God's elect in a day that is soon coming, when he's cast into the lake of fire, formally at the execution of his final judgment. There's other deaths. When you sin, it's a death to relationships. Thus, the preaching of the second service. When you sin in selfishness, bitterness, unforgiveness, lack of charity, disrupting the peace in relationships, you sin and death comes to relationships. May I remind you, that the father of the prodigal, when he was referring to his son coming back to him and explaining to his servants and then the older brother why they were going to have a party, he said, this my son was dead. Now there was no, this is not spiritual death. This is not physical death. There was no death certificate. This is not final death. This is death in a relationship between a father and a son. Though the father was still living, The son was still living, but now he was way over here spending his living with harlots. There was no relationship because this father did not think this corrupt way. So they were dead to each other. That is sin. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, 6, that a widow who lives in pleasure is dead while she liveth. Dead while she liveth. She's dead to fellowship with God, dead to a righteous life, dead to being productive and useful, dead because of sin, because she's put pleasure before the Lord. James 5, 19 and 20 tells us that, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way, a sinner from the error of his way, shall save a soul from death and hide a multitude of sins. There's more death than the three that we typically remind you of. Ephesians 5.14 tells the Ephesians who were already quickened from the dead, Awake thou that sleepest. Remember? I remember. Awake thou that sleepest and arise from the dead. Christ shall give thee light. There is a death that comes from sin. When you hear me preach about the joy of the Lord... Or you see someone in our assembly that has the joy of the Lord, and you wonder to yourself, why don't I have that? I don't even know if I know what they're talking about. It's very easy to explain. It's sin. It's sin with more death than the three that we theologically describe. It's a death 
to your relationship with God. It's a death to joy, and it's a death to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is grieved and quenched. If you pour water on a fire, there isn't much flame left. When we sin. Jesus Christ would say in Revelation chapter 3, 1, to the church described there, you're dead. A church can be dead. Proverbs 21, 16, when we wander out of the way of understanding, we end up in the congregation of the dead. Look at all those verses. They're not describing physical death. They're not describing spiritual death. They're not describing final death or the second death in the lake of fire. They're describing a death in relationships among ourselves, with your wife, with your children, with the Lord. Church relationships with the Lord. Described as death. All because of sin. Because I want to chase a little rabbit. The wages of sin is death. If you don't have the marriage you should, the result is sin. I don't even know what they mean by marriage counseling. The only marriage counseling, the only family counseling, the only counseling I understand is that there is sin and it wrecks havoc in relationships. Get rid of the sin and everything will take care of itself. There aren't cute little rules. There's not DVDs and videos to give you. There's not things to memorize. How about physical death? Were there people dying and falling over like flies at Corinth? Yeah. Their physical death was accelerated by sin. I just wanted to chase that for a moment. There's so much. Listen, when you sin, if you choose to be selfish, if you choose as a wife not to submit, if you choose as a husband not to love your wife, if you choose as a parent to be selfish and expect your children to come crawling to you, if you as children sin by not honoring your parents the way you should, reap the wages. The wages of sin is death. God has given us a manual of how we ought to live. And if you will live that way, it works. It always works. It works without fail. But it must be done. And when you don't do it, it is sin. Because sin is the transgression of God's law. 1 John 3, 4. If God said it, then we have to do it. And in the half to doing it is a whole lot of blessing. It's the fruit of holiness and the end everlasting life. I'm on. I'm on to the gift. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We had an inspired disjunctive to start verse 22. We have an inspired disjunctive in the middle of verse 23. Thank you, Lord, for the but. For the wages of sin is death. You know, the Lord's just left us a little reminder. I know the question you probably ask is one I ask. Then why do we have to die physically? Does he have the power to have taken that away? Absolutely. Sherry? Does he have the power? Is there enough in the Lord Jesus Christ to take it away? Yeah, so we've got to accomplish a couple things. We've got to get rid of these bodies. They're corrupt. And you know what? It's a nice little reminder of what we did to ourselves. It's a nice little reminder of what God has saved us from. Let the world be afraid of it. What is death to a Christian? Because the second half of this verse, it's a departure. Right. Trains ready. The flights of the plane's about to leave. They're closing the doors. It's just a passage into heaven. But it's a good reminder for us as to what sin cost us. The wages of sin is death. We've earned it. But 
God has done something the opposite of being just. Right. While being just. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he might be just and the justifier of him, of him which believeth in Jesus. Thank you, blessed Lord. God gave a gift of eternal life. How did he do it? He didn't offer it. If he would have offered it, no one would have taken it. Does the Bible say that? There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. Did Jesus say this? Search the scriptures, you Jew lovers of the scriptures. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. 539, Gospel of John. What does the next verse say? And ye will not come to me, that ye might have life. We wouldn't come. We couldn't come. Because in our flesh dwells no good thing, and it is impossible in our flesh to please God. Because they that are in the flesh cannot do so. God gave his elect to Jesus Christ before the world began. That's the gift. So many verses can be raised that the purpose and grace in Jesus Christ was given to us before the world began. Then, he gave his son for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Why did God give his son in John 3.16? So that all believers would have everlasting life. That's all that it's saying. In a way, it's a statement of fact. It's not an offering of anything. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What did God give his son for? So that believers would never perish. That's why John wrote. That's why we have 1 John 5.13, other verses just like it, like John 20 and verse 31. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So when you read a verse like John 3.16, it's to encourage believers to believe because God loved them and gave His Son to secure their everlasting life. That verse was not written and passed out in form in Rome. That verse was written to those that believed already on the name of the Son of God to encourage them that God had saved them. And the particular lesson of John 3 was to a ruler of the Jews that didn't think salvation extended beyond the Jewish family. God gave His elect to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for election. God gave Jesus Christ to the elect to die in their place. God gave eternal life in justification and regeneration by His power. We're justified in a legal transaction before we were even born. We're regenerated in a powerful transaction without any involvement of our own. It's a gift. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's not a remote chance that any one of God's elect can be lost. There's no offer of salvation to God's elect. The offer of salvation was Jesus Christ offering himself without spot to God. There's no acceptance in salvation of you accepting God. It's God accepting Jesus Christ and making you acceptable in the Beloved. Ephesians 1.6, these are truths that we believe. This is truth that we believe. We know where death came from. It's in the first half of the verse. The verse is profound. The wages of sin is death. They have no explanation for it. They can talk about the laws of thermodynamics 
and the other hallucinations of their mind all they want, some of which are true, some of which are partially true, some of which are not true at all. But we know where death came from. It's the consequence of sin. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God gave it. There's no offer except Jesus offering himself to God. There's no acceptance except God accepting us in Christ. It's God who did it. No wonder David would say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, who forgiveth all my iniquities. In Psalm 103. No wonder Paul said, Brethren, we are bound to give thanks always to God. For you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. No wonder the angels, when they announced Jesus' birth, said, Glory to God in the highest. Amen. What a transaction. What a gift. We deserve death. We earned death. And God is just and must pay wages to everyone that earns them. How in the world is he going to get out of that predicament? By the infinite wisdom of his mind, which he chose to have a son through a virgin that he would charge with our wages and kill on the cross of Calvary for our redemption. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, and what an unspeakable gift it is. No wonder Psalm 136 can't stop saying his mercy endureth forever in every one of its verses. And what is the contrast? The death we deserve and the life we receive, the difference between the two is impossible to describe. Instead of eternal torment as rebel enemies of God, which we are by nature, we enjoy God's presence forever as children. Instead of corruption consuming every virtue of our bodies, He will give us incorruptible bodies forever. Instead of separation from God as our great tormentor, which he should be, he will be our loving father forever. All tears, death, sorrow, crying, and pain will be taken away in God's heaven. This is no mere probation from the fires of hell. It's an eternal inheritance as the sons of God. And it's through Jesus Christ. It's all by Jesus Christ. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. It's all through the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He died physically. He suffered great emotional pain from all men forsaking him. Great mental anguish, knowing that he was going to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane. Spiritual attacks of the devil and his father deserting him because of your wages. Anyone chosen in Christ is infinitely free from any chance of loss. Anyone trusting in Christ is infinitely free from ever being ashamed. Right. Wonderful. We're shameful sinners. But no more in Christ Jesus our Lord. It says Jesus our Lord. They can fuss all they want to about lordship salvation. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Unless you live as Jesus Christ is your Lord, there's no evidence you were given the gift. When we get to Romans chapter 8, it's going to tell us there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And we love the first half of that verse. But the second half is, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
Never forget that. When Saul met Jesus and grasped this great message, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? If Jesus is truly your Lord, you're going to want to conform your life in its entirety, especially your relationships, to what he defines in the Bible, regardless of habit, tradition, past, preferences, opinions, ideas, thoughts, agreement, or otherwise. And that is what we will take up in the second service. The wages of sin is death. All kinds of death result from sin. But God overthrew that and gave his son that we might have everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He had better be your Lord and Savior this day. Humble yourself before him. Believe every testimony that God has given of him in his word. And repent of your sins and conform your life to his holy standard. May there be fruits of holiness and the end everlasting life in every one of us. In Jesus' name.